Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of July 10th through the 12th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So I hope everyone's hanging in there. Uh, here in New York, we have some great news and hit a major milestone recently. We've had the first day since March where there have been zero deaths in the city. Um, so, you know, for those of you in the rest of the country where COVID is surging, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you guys, but just know it's entirely possible to make it through and, and to, you know, help flatten the curve to almost zero, um, you know, in these dark times. All you need to do is, you know, make zero smart about uh, reopening by listening to the science, especially when it comes to indoor businesses such as, you know, restaurants and um, bars and, of course, movie theaters, but also more importantly, wearing your masks, keeping social distancing practices and washing your hands. Um, okay, PSA aside, uh, unfortunately for the movie industry, movie theaters are, of course, not part of the smart reopening here in New York. Um, while there is a chance that maybe in a couple of months, you know, we'll be able to finally uh, open movie theaters just as, you know, I'll hopefully be able to get my hair cut sometime soon. Um, you know, if we're going to keep the pandemic under control and don't want to see a second wave, um, it's going to take a while before that happens. And the rest of the country, unfortunately, isn't so hap- isn't so lucky. Um, most notably, um, you know, as of yesterday, as of the time this episode releases, um, Governor Newsom confirmed that movie theaters and restaurants will, will be closed across the entire state of California. As the number of deaths in the state just crossed 7,000 total, and new cases yesterday uh, hit over 8,000. Um, there is currently no reopening date tied to this order from the governor to you know close movie theaters at the time of recording. Uh, so it could be a while, honestly. Uh, given that Los Angeles County, you know, of over 10 million, um, has only about a hundred free ICU beds remaining, and those may be gone at the time this episode goes out. Um, you know, Mayor Garcetti of LA was warning that there's a possible a second uh, possible stay-at-home order coming soon. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not looking good for LA. County and California in general, and obviously with cases spiking in in Houston and Florida, who knows if you know those those states will follow suit. Um, you know, looking overseas real briefly, uh, Singapore is going to be reopening their theaters later this uh, this week. Actually, yesterday, as of the release of this episode. Meanwhile, Hong Kong did see a spike uh, of fifty two additional new cases of COVID, uh, which apparently is enough for them to close their movie theaters at least for a short period of time. Uh, in broader exhibitor news, you know, Al- Alamo Draft House, one of my favorite movie theater chains, uh, unfortunately, they've moved their furloughed workers into official layoffs, um, including at least 80 jobs at the corporate side of things, including their creative director here in New York. Um, the Sundance Institute, which also run- which runs the Sundance Film Festival every year, unfortunately also cut 13% of its staff. Um, for, a- for the larger exhibitors, AMC, you know, being the largest one, um, you know, there has been talk over the past couple of months of are they going to go into bankruptcy or not? It looks like they're going to avoid that for a little bit. Um, they've worked out a deal with their bondholders to restructure their debt um, and to have access to another $300 million in cash to operate through at least next year, um, avoiding bankruptcy. Um, that said, you know, it's still overall a pretty rough time to be an exhibitor right now. And, you know, part of that is just the uncertainty of, you know, when we'll actually have movies back in theaters um, as COVID continues to spread across the U.S. This whole let's push it back two weeks, push it back two weeks we see with, you know, Tenet and uh, Mulan um, is just kind of swinging along movie movie op- operators who are keeping things uh, open in the hopes that it'll actually come before they inevitably get uh, delayed. 
Uh, in fact, you know, in another universe, this coming weekend, uh, we would have had the opening of Chris Nolan's Tenet, um, July seventeenth. You know, as of right now, we're still currently set for a mid-August release for Tenet, followed by uh, Disney's Mulan. You know, the week after. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if, with the new theater closures, especially in California, which you know that you know a big reason why Tenet got pushed back in the first place it was New York wasn't going to be opening up. So if LA is not going to be opening up either, um, you know, we could see Tenet and Mulan getting pushed back. I would expect, you know, sometime this week since we're nearing about the month month mark away from, you know, the current set date. Um, this also applies to the other films in August, uh, notably The New Mutants, uh, which is forever being pushed back, um, as well as Bill and Ted 3. In fact, actor Alex Winters from Bill and Ted has hinted on Twitter that it may very likely be coming to VOD sometime soon instead of holding out for a theatrical release. Uh, A24, you know, Indie Darling, also announced that their horror film, Saint Maud, uh, was originally planned for a July 17th release, is currently being moved to a to-be-announced date for a theatrical release. Um, they already announced to you previously that they hope that they were hoping to bring first cow to theaters, but again, uh, a couple weeks ago they, they decided to move that to VOD. Um, it's not just August movies that, are, that might need to move. September also doesn't look safe. Uh, Sony has moved their adaptation of the video game franchise Monster Hunter uh, from a September 4th, 2020 date to an April 23rd, 2021 date. Um, not really looking forward to this movie, to be quite honest, but it does kind of portend what's to come for September movies. Um, there's currently no news about Paramount's Acquired Place 2 or Fox's The Kingman prequel, um, Kingsman prequel, uh, which is currently also set for September. Um, Universal, however, has moved a number of its horror films in September and October. Um, the Jordan Peele written film Candyman, uh, which is a remake of the 1992 film, I believe, uh, is moving from, from the September 25th date to an October 16th date of this year. So trying to get that you know Halloween uh, you know money for the horror films. Uh, that being said, the actual ho- Halloween franchise, uh, which is rebooted recently by Blumhouse Films, um, the sequel for that film actually was originally scheduled for October 16th of this year. And that is being pushed back to October 15th of 2021, so a full year. Um, the third the third sequel, or I guess second sequel, third entry in the franchise in the rebooted franchise, Halloween Ends, is moving to October 15th, 2022. So that mid-October date is just gonna be uh, you know, horror films from Universal for you know kind of the next uh, couple of years. Um, this is the September movie also, but the Universal Bloom House uh, horror film, uh, the final installation to the Purge franchise, the Forever Purge, uh, that's moving to July 9th, 2021, from this past weekend, actually, July 10th, 2020. Um, Universal has been pretty aggressive about moving its stuff straight to 2021, as opposed to just pushing them as, you know, Tenet and, and Disney are, you know, the Fast 9 film and the Minions films, you know, were pretty quick to to solidify their dates in 2021. Uh, we also don't currently have any dates on Warner Brothers, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which is still currently set for October 2nd. I wouldn't be surprised if that moves, if, War- if Tenet once again moves, as Chris Nolan has said many times before, he wants to be the first one back in theaters. Um, interestingly, though, there is actually a film that is somehow getting a theatrical release this August. Um, so if you remember, there was a 2016 South Korean zombie film from Netflix, uh, Train to Busan, um, and that's getting a sequel called Peninsula, set four years after Train to Busan. Um, it's actually premiering in Korea this coming week uh, on July 15th. Uh, well Go Entertainment, a relatively smaller distributor, uh, primarily of action and specifically Asian cinema, uh, will be releasing it in North America on 
August 7th. Um, so that's even ahead of Tenet. Um, I will say it's currently only set for 150 theaters or screens. Um, I'm not sure where those will be located. You know, normally you expect this kind of Asian cinema to play mostly in, say, you know, definitely New York, LA, uh, maybe San Francisco, maybe Seattle and Boston, um, Chicago perhaps, you know, the big metropolitan areas. But with, you know, New York not having theaters open anytime soon and LA closing the theaters indefinitely, I don't know where Wellgo is planning on actually having this screen if it's going to get pushed back. Um, you know, that said, you know, the original Train to Busan was made for about $8.5 million US. Ultimately, it grows $93 million worldwide. So um, I could see why, you know, they're trying to get this in theaters for Wellgo. Um, you know, I'm looking to see how this does whenever it does inevitably release. Um, in addition to its theatrical releases, they actually have an exclusive streaming deal, not with Netflix, where the original Train to Busan gained its popularity, but on the AMC horror movie service Sutter um, for the exclusive streaming rights. So that'll be interesting to see uh, if this will be able to get people to actually come to Sutter, kind of the same way Hamilton uh, came to Disney+. Plus. Uh, speaking of streaming news and Hamilton, uh, last week we had talked about how Hamilton uh, was able to get a 74% week-over-week increase in the number of mobile app downloads for Disney+. Plus. Uh, as noted, that does not include new browser logins or television app uh, purchases. Uh, so that's not like the true number of how many new Disney Plus accounts there were as a result of Hamilton. Uh, this one analytics company called Antenna uh, claims that they reported that you know uh, accounting for these additional platforms, you know, so the the browser and television apps, Disney saw a 650% increase in downloads for the Disney Plus app. Um, I don't know exactly how accurate that is. I don't know what the baseline number, so exactly what that absolute number of total new downloads was. But, um, you know, that's pretty huge for Disney given that, you know, there were no free trials anymore. So everyone at least paid $7 um, in that 650% week-over-week increase. You know, even if you treated it as just a pay-per-view purchase, you know, you buy, you know, Disney Plus for the month, you watch Hamilton, maybe you binge uh, Mandalorian and, and whatnot, um, this is still going to be a huge month for Disney. And even if just a small portion ends up converting to keeping the service after this one month, that's going to be a huge one for Disney. Um, you know, if you look at Disney at Google search trends around the time Hamilton came out, uh, searches for how to download the Disney Plus app spiked to about four times the normal search numbers. So again, huge win for Hamilton, huge win for Disney. Also in streaming news uh, for the July 4th weekend, while Hamilton won the social media and free streaming realm, it's also worth noting that The Outpost, which is a film I hadn't heard about, it's an African warm drama starring Orlando Bloom. Uh, it was number one in the iTunes store uh, on July 4th weekend. Um, and, you know, actually on Fandango now, which looks at total revenue, not just total downloads, it actually outperformed premium VOD titles such as Jon Stewart's election film Irresistible, as well as Pete Davidson's King of Saturn Island. Um, and that's pretty significant given that, you know, The Outpost was only selling for about seven bucks um, while these two other films were going for about three times as much at $20 for the premium VOD price. So good job to the outpost. Um, what's not doing well in streaming is, of course, Quibi. Uh, couldn't go too long, a couple, too many episodes without kind of laughing at them. But there is news that, you know, so when you signed up for Quibi, when it first launched back in April, there was a 90-day free trial. Um, those 90 days recently just elapsed. And so uh, it looks like 92% of users ended up dropping the service after the 90-day free trial. That's leaving over only 72,000 users, like, what, four months in? Uh, for context, they were planning on having 7.5 million subscribers in the first year. 
Now, granted, apparently this 8% drop, 8% retention rate is not that far from Disney Plus's uh, 11% retention of trial customers. Uh, that said, Disney does have a huge boon in that they gave a free year of Disney Plus to Verizon customers, so that helped their install numbers. And frankly, just the number of people who initially downloaded Disney Plus was just so much higher that even with an 11% retention rate, um, Disney Plus still has just higher absolute numbers. Uh, you know, Quibi looks like to be in the down total downloads of thus far about 5 million total downloads to date. Uh, so that's going to be pretty pitiful if they only have an 8% conversion rate. Um, I'm curious, honestly, to see what uh, their exit strategy looks like at this point. They've burned like $1.82 billion uh, in this app, especially on trying to act for acquisition. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do if how they're going to exit this. Are they, you know, I, my best bet would be that Apple ends up you know, buying some of the original content. Um, but that's about it. And honestly, just rolling them all into the Apple TV Plus service. Uh, in other streaming news, there's actually other, you know, another block in the city. This is what, the 10th major streaming service? What, we have like Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Quibi, HBO Max, CBS All Access, uh, ESPN. Like, I'm sorry I'm missing some. Anyway, um, NBC Universe, NBC um Universal, uh, which is also Comcast, uh, is having their streaming app, Peacock, uh, launch later this week. In fact, it's launching tomorrow, uh, July 15th. Um, frankly, I haven't talked about it that much on the podcast thus far, and that's partly because there just hasn't been as much buzz about it, which may be a little bit of a problem, but we'll talk about it in a, little, in, in a second. Um, the main differentiator, though, for Peacock seems to be that while most streaming services are you know, purely subscription model, um, you know, they're mostly all ad-free, except for maybe Hulu, but even Hulu doesn't have a free version anymore, Peacock will be a VOD, that is ad-supported VOD. Um, you can have a free version of, um, you know, uh, Peacock. Uh, I said they, I think they said something about no more than five minutes of ads per hour of content. Um, so that's a pretty big differentiator, especially coming this late to the game. Um, there has been talk about you know streaming fatigue. There, people are signing up for more streaming services, but they're keeping less of them as they get kind of burnt out on how many services do I actually have to end up subscribing and, and keep to be able to watch all of my content. Um, the paid version of Peacock will be going for five dollars a month. Um, but again, that's there still is this this. Free service that's ad supported will be, I think, a huge deal for them. Um, it, uh, you know, in terms of what content they have, we, we've talked about how having compelling content on the platform is paramount. That's partly why HBO Max has struggled. That's partly why you know Quibi has done pretty poorly, among other reasons. Uh, Peacock is pretty unique. They have sports. Um, they actually had initially planned for the service to launch in the summer in order to coincide with the 2020 Olympics. Though obviously that's being delayed to next year. Um, but they're also going to have news, which I don't, I can't think of too many other services. I think. I think Apple TV Plus had like a serve a new service, but you know NBC is going NBC Peacock is going to have the um you know the today so um you know uh, component and 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 news in the streaming service, which is pretty big, I think. Um, they also have a lot of classic NBC shows. Um, uh, you know, right now, off the office is is still locked to uh, Netflix at the moment. Uh, but Thirty Rock, Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine Nine, Friday Night Lights, and Saturday Night Live all will end up at some point on the NBC Peacock service, um, potentially. You know, uh, even at launch. So that's a pretty big deal. Since so, excuse me, uh, a lot of these shows are, are you know pretty popular. Um, there also are going to be you know a lot of content from Hulu um, that's currently provided. 
uh, from NBC, especially some of the TV shows. I know my wife and I, we like to watch uh, some shows, um, you know, the day after they air on NBC, uh, watching them on Hulu. So, you know, if NB- if Peacock ends up pulling that from Hulu, say next year in 2022, that'll be also big uh, for the platform as well. Um, there'll also be some classic movies as well as a couple of new shows, though most of those have been delayed due to production issues with related to COVID. And none of them, honestly, I haven't really heard too much buzz about any must-watch shows on the Peacock platform. Um, so in any case, um, I think given the desire for an ad-supported free streaming service with you know a decent amount of content, Peacock does have a shot. Um, there are two things holding it back, I think, though, that are, that are concerning for me. Uh, one is lack of consumer awareness. Um, you know, I a chart I saw saw that of the major streaming platforms, uh, Peacock has the second least uh, customer awareness. The only one they're ahead of is Quibi, uh, which isn't exactly a high bar to clear. So, um, you know, even behind HBO Max, which had a terrible marketing push, you know, up only starting about like a week or a week or so before the actual launch. So uh, Peacock has a bit of an uphill climb to getting user recognition that, hey, this is the thing I can go and download. Um, but even more important than that and is, is where they can download it. And we talked about in the past how HBO Max completely flubbed their launch by not being on uh, Amazon TV and uh, Roku TV services, which make up about 70 to 80 percent of smart TV devices. As of right now, uh, even though you know Peacock is on you know Xbox and PlayStation platforms and so on, um, you can watch on the browser. It's not cur- there is currently no deal between Amazon and Roku to work with the Peacock service, which. It's, it's almost as if they're trying to have it fail. I don't know. Uh, we'll check back next week to see how well this launch does or doesn't do. Um, but yeah, we'll keep an eye on Peacock. Uh, moving real quick to the world of movie production. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion. We started shooting in the UK last week. I believe they are at about uh, week day eight of shooting at the moment. Um, there was a hot rumor going around for a quick second that on the very first day of shooting, there were some positive COVID cases on set. Uh, but it seems that those are false alarms. Universal apparently debunked those claims. Um, so yeah, uh, good luck to the crew of uh, Jurassic World Dominion uh, and, and continuing shooting there. Um, um, you know, uh, the Batman, um, another film, uh, another major film that's uh, coming soon or you know sometime soon, uh, starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, they are also planning on shooting uh, in September, um, though apparently instead of shooting on location, they're just going to be building everything on a soundstage on a set instead to you know prevent the variables of you know location scouts getting affected and um, you know any potential you know external contamination. So trying to keep it controlled on set. So um, you know. Honestly, the only real safe place at the moment to film film to make films probably will be New Zealand. To be quite honest, um, so you know, shout outs to Weta and Peter Jackson. Um, but yeah, uh, in order to wrap things up for this week, you know, it's been a while. But let's look at the top box office films of the past weekend according to Deadline. Um, you know, not in as much detail as we normally would, but you know, it's still it's kind of cool to look at what old movies were dominating the drive-in theaters these days. So in past weeks, it looked like about uh, eleven hundred theaters have been open. Um, it looks like this past weekend there were about. 1500 open so you know some more film theaters open though we'll see if those stay open especially with uh you know california closing uh you know the movie theaters again um you know, uh, in first place, in any case, we have uh, episode five of the original Star Wars trilogy, Empire Strikes Back, uh, taking first place with $611,000 over three days in about 600 theaters, uh, predominantly most of the revenue coming from drive-in theaters. Um, you know, 
it that's more than the three-day total of uh, the Ghostbusters over the July 4th weekend, which did uh, $550,000. Uh, Jurassic Park on June 19th uh, did uh, $517,000. I mean, even, you know, got really close to the $656,000 that Trolls World Tour did over four days uh, on the Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, shout out to George Lucas, shout out to Lucasfilms and, and Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, congrats to them for, for breaking $600,000 and over, you know, over half a million. Um, you know, this is what? Uh, the first time since 1997. It's been number one at the box office. And uh, also, you know, it opened 40 years ago uh, in 1980 um, at the original release to number one as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, in number two, we have another Disney film, Marvel's Black Panther, uh, $367,000. Uh, and in third place, we have Pixar's Inside Out um, at 340000 So it looks like maybe a little bit more top-heavy uh, compared to, than compared to previous weeks. Uh, in terms of what I've been watching, honestly, not much. Just kind of watching stuff for the anime podcast. Um, also working on some other podcast projects as well, so I haven't had much time to watch films. Um, but yeah, in any case, that's going to be a wrap for this episode. If you have any feedback or suggestions for the Box Office Watch podcast, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zealand.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser. That'll be really helpful. Um, I'll include links to those in the show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show, when I do have numbers, uh, is from thenumbers.com, unless otherwise noted. Uh, our intro and outro music is provided by Kevin MacLeod. Find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.